0: Well, thank you for coming back. My wife keeps expressing amazement that you all are coming back. And I, I want to say right up front, we've raised three daughters, and I'm, but I'm still going to say I'm not an expert on, on, uh, on parenting girls even. Girls are a mystery. And it's a wonderful mystery. The great thing I do love about girls, my girls, is that they talk a lot. And uh, it's just a window into their hearts. So... Um, Thank you for coming back, and, and we're going to um, power through the, what the Bible says about raising girls, and it's going to sound a lot like, in terms of format, what we did with the boys. I want to um, kind of look at the cultural headwinds that you're parenting into, um, and then I want to look at, from Scripture, what the role of a woman is, and, and hopefully encourage you with the simplicity of that. And when I say simplicity, I mean the concept is simple. I fully understand that getting little girls to be God, biblical women is a lot of work. And then we're going to go through the disciplines. Um, some, and there are eight disciplines, by the way, for, for girls. Um, that's why I kept saying eight. Um, I am losing my mind. And, and I always say that there's eight disciplines for girls because girls are a lot smarter than boys and they can handle eight. Um, <laughs> Us guys, you know, we need it a little simpler, smaller, and and so that's where we're going. Um, For boys, leader, provider, protector, disciplines, work, money, purpose, convictions, humility, and a one-woman man. Girls, we're going to look at biblical roles, and they are this. She's a lover of her husband, she's a lover of her children, and she's a worker at home. Those are the unique roles of a woman. And just by saying that, in certain circumstances, I could probably go down the street here to um, the university, stand on the corner and say that, and get egged. And we're moving quickly in our culture to a place where I would be removed from the public square for saying that. That's the cultural headwinds that you're heading into. So, just a reminder, we're focusing on daughters, we're focusing on raising um, biblical women. We're not um, talking about how to raise Christian daughters. And um, I know I don't have to repeat that too much because you just heard that last night. It's how to prepare them to live according to God's purpose for them because the Bible is clear that if you live according to God's purposes, there is blessing on, on this earth. There's satisfaction. And this is, again, the focus is on God's purpose, not your purpose, not living vicariously through your daughters so that they accomplish what you never were able to accomplish, but that they accomplish what the Lord has for them to accomplish. Understanding the goal is, and I want to repeat this, the desired end result in raising your daughters greatly simplifies, I believe, and clarifies, I believe, because I've lived it, the day-to-day parenting issues that come up, particularly when you hit the teen years. The Bible clearly lays out the role and function and character of a mature Biblical and even godly woman. And good parenting doesn't just happen. Good parenting takes into account, and guys, this is really important for you to lead your family, to keep those goals out in front of your family, and to parent towards those goals. And that's what we want to talk about. Ladies, a couple questions for you that you have to walk out of here and consider. Are you an example of everything we're about to talk about for your daughters? Are you an example to your sons? Do your sons see and live with a biblical and even godly woman? Do your daughters understand that they want to marry a godly man someday? And do they know what that looks like? And do your sons know what it is to live with a godly woman? You get to teach them that. Ladies, do your children know that you value your husband and honor his God-given role? Men, do your children know that you honor and appreciate your wife? And I promise you, you're gonna walk out of here, men. Little secret, ladies, check out here for a sec. You're gonna walk out of here with eight things that you can go home and you can implement this by two o'clock today. And talk to your children about eight ways your wife is amazing. Because these are true of her life. Men, it's really, really important that your daughters hear you exalt your wife for the right things in the right way because that puts in your daughter's heart That is what I want to be someday. And men, your your daughters and your sons need to know what you appreciate about your wife. Okay, so I expect gifts and money later, guys, for feeding your ability to articulate to your wife and to your children how great your wife is. Because that's going to happen this morning. I'm kidding about the gifts and money. All right, what what about the culture? The the headwinds? I've already mentioned a little bit. If you look at... um, 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 data that's out there, statistical data, surveys, and, and that kind of thing, you know that college enrollment, most colleges and universities now are majority girls. It's amazing. Um, you also know that in the workplace, women in executive positions are quickly overtaking men in executive positions. Public education is largely run by women. Um, <clears throat> there's an increased focus on female academic achievement. In 1870, 13% of women worked outside the home. Let me repeat that. 13% in 1870, and most of those were single women working in nursing and secretarial. This is from census data. By, by 1970, 40% of women worked outside the home. So in 100 years, the rate of women working outside the, room, outside the home tripled. As of 2000, 30 years later, 77% of women aged 25 to 54 worked outside the home. That's a doubling in only 30 years. It took 100 years for that to double from 1870 to 1970 and 30 years to double again. And all of this corresponds to the rise of feminism. And in 1971, the Declaration of Feminism had said this, and I hope this shocks you. The end of the institution of marriage is necessary for the liberation of women. Therefore, it is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not live individually with men. Now, in 1971, that was considered aberrant thinking. It really was. It was crazy talk. Um, I would say it's fair to say that that's generally accepted today in a lot of quarters. Your children... Your daughters will be told that just by the popular culture of TV shows and movies. That is the message they're going to receive. And I believe that concept will be completely embraced in the future. And some of that is due to the sorry state state of manhood um, in this country. And I understand that. But it's also the rise of the media portrayal of skewed male-female roles. This country has the highest divorce rate of any country in the free world. And only 50% of children grow up in a nuclear family. And what comes with that, and we see this, this, we can see what our future is by going across the pond and looking at Europe. There's a massive decrease in fertility rates. When you take marriage out of the equation, and you skew male and female roles, and you teach girls to live outside the design of how God designed women, um, One of the consequences is a decrease in fertility rates, and you look at Europe to see that future. Europe adopted the feminist view of women decades before we did. And what you see in Europe is a declining birth rate to the point where economists believe that the indigenous European will have largely disappeared by the year 2040. And if you've been to Europe, you've seen this. The flip side is the immigrant European Muslim population is growing at such a fast pace that Europe will be largely Muslim in our lifetime. And they will not need to drive an airplane into buildings. It is possible that God is removing an entire race of people from the face of the earth as a consequence of their rejection of his truth, of his design for men and women. Books are being written on this topic, one that... Um, is a really interesting read. It's called America Alone by Mark Stein, a thoroughly secular man who is, who is um, describing the consequences of the abandonment of biblical roles of men and women. So the overwhelming cultural influence on you and your children is contrary to the biblical design. If your kids are in public school, my kids all went through public school. I finally said it, public school. Um, and they're in universities, graduated or one is still in college. They are being bombarded constantly, even in a Christian college. And I put quotes. It's not master's college or anything, any college that's overtly Christian. But a college that represents itself as a Christian college, the, the regular message in that university is women's role is different than how the Bible teaches it. Okay. So it's against this stream and flood that your daughter is called to resist. And if your daughter's going to resist this flood, then she's going to have to know and understand, believe, and embrace what it says in Scripture. Scripture makes clear the high calling of a woman. And we're going to look at several passages to understand why God created women. And it's important to note that we will be look, what we will be looking at does not apply only to Christian women. I know I've said that. I want to keep saying that. God's design applies to his creation, all women. We'll look at the roles that God designed uniquely for the woman. Then we're going to look at the disciplines to develop the ability to fulfill those roles. And then we'll go back through and look at the practical, some parenting implications of those disciplines. So ladies, why are you here on earth? Do you know the answer to that question? Well, let's look at it from Scripture. And I'm going to actually ask you to turn. There's three passages we're going to look at um, that are really important. And if you follow with me and turn to them, that's fine. If not, write these down because you're going, you're going to want to go back and look at these later. 1 Timothy 2, 9 to 15. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. And then we're going to look at Genesis 2 and 3. But let me read 1 Timothy 2, 9 to 15. And I'm going to read these passages, and then you're going to hear me reference back to these passages the rest of our time. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to Godliness a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Titus 2. A couple pages over, verses three through five. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. These passages describe what a woman is to be and what she is to do. And we're initially going to see what she is to be. That's the roles. Then we're going to look at what she is to do, and that's the disciplines. And you'll note in these passages the commands to women. Some of those commands can equally apply to men. In other contexts, and they're not unique to women. For example, you're not to be malicious gossips or enslaved to wine. You're to teach what is good. You're to receive instruction with entire submissiveness. You're to be kind, pure, sensible. Those are commands that can apply equally to men, right? Those are not unique to women. But there are commands in those passages that are unique to women and can only be fulfilled by women. And those commands, and you could probably go through and pick those out right now, Um, for example, the bearing of children, that's a pretty obvious one, right? Even in our culture, where people are trying to convince us otherwise. But as we'll see, those unique commands in 1 Timothy 2 and Titus 2, that you could go through now and pick out, that a man can't fulfill that, are completely parallel to Genesis chapter 2, the design of in God's creation of a woman in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. It's all parallel and it all comes together. So let's, let's look at those. If you, first, wife. First rule, lover of her husband or a wife. A man cannot be a wife. Okay? By God's design, a woman is to be a wife. A support and a lover of her husband. A companion, a helper, a complement, a confidant. A lover for life. Titus chapter 2 says that a young woman is to be taught to love her husband. That is a unique command to women. And it goes on to say in verse 5 that she is to be subject to her own husband. That is unique to a woman. And that corresponds with Genesis chapter 2. I read it to you earlier. In verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then down in verse 20, I read it to you. For Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. And then Genesis 2, verse 23, the man said, after Eve was created, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a number of things to pull out of there. Verse 18 speaks of all men. It is not good for the man to be alone. Adam was the first, but he represented all of us. Then verse 20 speaks of Adam specifically. His specific need as an illustration of all of our needs. And this is really important because feminists will take you to this passage and completely misinterpret. I want to be very clear. Helper, a woman being created as the helper to the man speaks of the deficiency of man, not the insufficiency of woman. Think about that. Men, I know this is going to hurt some of you. And that's okay. But we're incomplete And that wasn't a failure of creation, that was the design of creation. That God created men to be insufficient, inadequate, incomplete. Why? Because God created woman to be that perfect completer. It's an amazing design. God created woman to complete the man. Woman was not incomplete, she was created to be the completer. And then it says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. For what reason? Because man is incomplete. And he needs to be completed. And I've heard this uh, misquoted that the woman is to leave her father and mother and be married to her husband. Scripture is very clear. It repeats it in the New Testament twice. Man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. God created woman. Man was told to leave his parents because parents do not complete a man. Mom, you are not your son's completer. And that's funny, but that has enormous implications. Particularly as your son gets older and you start considering the implications of that statement, your son was designed to leave your house to be completed by someone you had nothing to do with, who you may not even know. Okay? 1 Corinthians 11.9. This is a feminist dream, this Verse because they misinterpret it. And I want to mention it to you. It says, For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. You've heard feminists repeat that verse and say that the Bible is misogynistic, that it can't be true, that that is demeaning to women. Hopefully you understand now, it is exactly the opposite. That man was not created for the woman's sake. In other words, man wasn't created to complete woman, Man was insufficient, incapable, incomplete, and needed to be completed. And that is the high calling of why God created Eve, why God created women. Women were created for the man's sake. In other words, I'll say it this way, guys. Man was not God's gift to the world. And this may be devastating to some of you. Woman was God's gift to the world. And this is important, man. You can go home and start talking to your daughters and your sons about this dynamic. It is completely contrary to what they're going to hear in our culture. And I need to note this. God does not intend for all women to be married. I understand that. First Corinthians um, chapter 7, verse 25 to 40 addresses that. And uh, you know, we can talk about it. Sometimes people want to raise that issue and talk about it. And we can talk about it. There's, it's understood that some women are not going to be married I am very confident in saying that 95% plus women are going to be married. Why? Because that's what happens. Okay? All right. Post-fall, Genesis 3, I read it to you. Verse 16, the curse on women. Um, Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. In essence, the curse happened because of sin and it defined the role um, And um, in that Um, that role of being a wife is the concept of submitting to to your husband. And I just want to make this point before we move on. Submission to the leadership of your husband was not the curse. Again, understanding the order of how this all happened in the Bible, God created Adam and Eve. He placed Eve under the headship of Adam. That was good. That was perfect. And so the curse was not God coming to Eve saying, now you have to submit to your husband. The curse was what was a beautiful, perfect design of submitting to your husband to fall under the leadership of your husband. I'm now gonna make it very difficult. And it is, isn't it? It is difficult. And that's that's part of the curse. All right, let's go on to being a mother. A mother. The second... The purpose of women is to be a mom, bearing children, raising and training children. This is probably pretty obvious. I hope this is obvious. Um, 1 Timothy 2 says that women will be preserved through the bearing of children. And that doesn't mean that you're gonna be saved by being a mom or that you're gonna live forever because you're a mom. That's not what preserved means. What that means is that the role of a woman will be preserved come whatever comes in our culture. However they try and skew the public perception and the private perception of men and women, they will never be able to change God's creative design that ladies, you bear children, men, you don't bear children. And there's a unique relationship between a mom and her children that comes, and in in what um, Paul is saying in 1 Timothy is, your role as a woman, the role of your children or your daughters as a woman will be preserved because she is the one who can bear children. And the curse talks about this, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. You will read feminists say that bearing children um, is a curse, is the curse. That is a complete misreading of Genesis chapter 2 and 3. God gave women the role of bearing children in the perfect design, pre-sin, before the curse. What the curse did is said, what God has designed you to do is now going to be painful. Think about that. Having babies without pain—that's what it was before sin entered the garden. The third one: worker at home. The wife is to direct her labors to the home, while the husband works outside the home to provide for his wife and children. Do you see that now? How that comes together—that the man's role is to work and provide for his family outside the home, and by God's design, the wife's role is to work at home to, prov- to care for the children. Um, and to free her husband up to go outside the home to provide. Her faithfulness at home allows him to focus on his role and his need to provide. And right there, if I was in a different setting, I would have lost the crowd. That statement is viewed by our culture to be demeaning to women. And even though some inside of churches are now moving away from this truth, and you can't get away from Genesis chapter 2, I will make him a helper suitable for him. That's God's design. Titus 2 says to teach the young women to be workers at home. It's in the Bible. Now, can a woman work outside the home? Yes. Should a woman work outside the home? It's not for me to say. Men, that's where your leadership comes in. And that's a, we can, again, deal with that afterwards. We won't take the time to address that question. But the, the point here is to train and teach your daughters, to um, put in your daughters' hearts that God put them on the earth as a woman, as opposed to a man, to be a lover of her husband, a lover of her children, and a worker at home. So if that's the goal, if that's how they are to be, how they are to function, then what are the disciplines we need to teach our daughters to prepare them for that role? She's gonna be bombarded with false information. She will be tested and challenged in her understanding of her role. You teach her well. No matter how well you teach her, it will be challenged. But you need to encourage her and you need to be encouraged that your daughter will never be content outside God's design for her. And she will be told exactly the opposite of that, that you're missing out Some of you have been told that. I remember when my wife would be asked, do you have a job? And she would say, no, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And there's all kinds of abuse that comes from that. Some of you have experienced that. Um, And yet that is the highest calling. That is um, just an incredible um, um, gift from the Lord when you can do that. And your daughter's going to be told you're missing out on life. Your daughters are being will be placed in a position to have incredible ministry and impact, and you should know that because you moms are in a position of incredible ministry and incredible impact. So, what are these disciplines? Turn with me to Proverbs 31. And ladies, sometimes when I say this, this is true, even at Grace Church, I get feedback afterwards, ladies come up to me and say, why do you men keep hitting us over the head with Proverbs 31? the passage that describes what we can never be. And I say it's in the Bible. And you can be it because I married the Proverbs 31 woman. And surely she's not the only one. Proverbs 31, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothes with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her children also, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Proverbs 31 describes a woman who understands, who's been taught the fear of God and wise living and obedience to the role of how God has designed her, what he has designed her for. And what I want to do is just pull out of Proverbs 31, 1 Timothy 2 and Titus 2, eight disciplines. And again, I I need to say this. Please don't go home and implement all of this this afternoon. I don't want your daughters to hate me or to hate you. Consider these carefully. Think about these. What do my daughters need to work on? Which of these eight do we need to work on and focus on together um, to prepare our daughters for the life that is ahead of her? And each of these disciplines are a great opportunity for any of you to look at your own life and say, here's an area where maybe I need to work on it, to model this for my daughters, to model this for my sons, as they grow up someday and look for a godly woman to marry. Okay? Number one, stability, the discipline of stability. These are all disciplines that go counter to the natural bent of a a young lady but move them towards the ability to fulfill their role of being a wife, a mom, and a worker at home. Stability. Our culture celebrates and reinforces the image of women who are emotional, unstable, and even flighty. There's a culture that will tell your daughters, there's an influence that tells your daughters to live emotionally, that it's okay. This is directly contrary to the biblical woman who, according to Scripture, is a rock. Not flighty, not instable. Verse 11, Proverbs 31 says, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Verse 12, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Titus 2 talks about her being sensible. And what that means is truthful, reliable, stable, consistent. Ladies, someday that little girl, that flighty little four-year-old is gonna be a wife, a mom, and a worker at home. Your goal as a parent, your job as a parent, is to train into her the discipline of stability, of being that person where the heart of her husband someday will trust in her as the rock in his life. The reliable human stone on which he can hold on to, depending on what life brings. Your daughters need to understand that her emotions are deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And when you're teaching stability, obviously, you're not trying to beat out of young ladies their personality or the benefits of their emotions. There is a softness, a gentleness to a woman that men will never achieve. That's by God's design. The idea here is to train into them a discipline of overcoming the bent towards emotional Um, thinking okay number two we saw stability the second one is work second discipline is work the women in the room here who have children know that motherhood is a physical challenge can i hear an amen it is it's hard work which is why people who say ah stay-at-home moms don't work yes they do you know it requires hard work. You know it requires a work ethic. It requires discipline. It requires the ability to do physical labor when you haven't had sleep in three days. For no recognition other than it's just because it needs to get done. That's the hard work of a woman. A work ethic is not just a male quality. It's essential for a woman. And it's all the way through Proverbs thirteen uh, or Proverbs 31. Verse 13, it says, She looks for wool and flax, And works with her hands, and I love, it says, in delight. That's the discipline, to love that work. She brings her food from afar. Verse 15, she rises while it's still night. Amen, ladies? They don't just throw up between the hours of 8 and noon, do they? (laughs) She rises while it's still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. Verse seventeen: She girds herself with strength, and with strength and makes her arms strong. I never really understood that until I saw um, my bride managing three little bodies, two of which, which needed to be held and one which needed to be led. It's a lot of work. Verse eighteen: Her lamp does not go out at night. Verse nineteen: She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. Verse twenty-two: She makes coverings for herself verse 24 she makes linen garments and sells them verse 27 she does not eat the bread of idleness men we need to honor our wives for the work that they do and we also need to train the discipline into our daughters that they need to love hard work because that's their future okay titus 2 talks about them being workers at home and we tend to minimize the word work that's the discipline A worker at home. Number three. We've talked about stability and work. Number three is money. Discipline of money. And you say, why? I thought the, the husband, the boys are going to be disciplined in money. Well, wives, moms, you know you need to learn the discipline of money. Many, even in the church, believe a woman is not to be involved in business. And yet you heard me read Proverbs 31. There's all kinds of references to money. And the reason is that a home is a complex entity. And I love saying this because I'm an accountant, but there's as many cost centers as there are human beings, isn't there? And a woman's ability to manage all of that does not come naturally. A godly woman has the skills to manage that if or as needed. If you marry an accountant, you probably don't have to worry about it as much. Verse 14 says she's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it amazing from her earnings she plants a vineyard i remember the first time i studied this prepared to teach this many many years ago i actually sat down with my oldest daughter we went on the website and i taught her about mutual funds i was so convicted by this that i was not training my daughter in the in the use of money and budgeting and saving and investing and today she's managing a home she married a guy who's in the military And she has to manage the money. I'm so grateful for the Lord's conviction at the right time with the time enough to react to teach this discipline. Verse 24 of Proverbs 31. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. This is a wise woman with good business sense. She takes the long-term view on money. She understands leveraging assets. Another phrase that accountants love to say. In other words, letting assets grow and then making them, selling them and investing them. She understands profit. She's not known as a spender. She uses profit to earn more profit, not to live a higher lifestyle. That's the discipline of money. Number four, kindness. Why would kindness be a discipline? I thought girls were nice and kind and sweet, sugar and spice. I learned something parenting three daughters and growing up with three sisters Girls can be mean, can't they? And if you haven't experienced this, you will. Boys can be mean and they slug each other and their best friends five minutes later. Girls never forget. And I've learned, they just never forget. In groups especially, girls can be mean. And yet a mom and a wife is soft-hearted, patient, and kind. And that's the discipline. Titus 2, or or, I'm sorry, Proverbs 31, verse 20. She extends her hands to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. Verse 26, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That's a discipline. That doesn't come easily. That doesn't come naturally. Titus 2, 5 says to teach the young women to be kind. And the fact that you have to teach them that should be an indication and a reminder that we're supposed to teach them that. That's not going to come naturally. It's not just going to happen. Number five. We've seen stability, work, money, kindness. Number five, contentment. Contentment. Proverbs 31 21. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. I love that phrase. A godly woman, a biblical woman, smiles at the future. She's content. She's confident, but not arrogant. She's patient, mature, wise, fearless for herself and for her family. And that fearlessness, that contentment comes from preparation, from hard work, not from arrogance. She takes a long-term view, and she has self-control. And all of this comes together. I get that. You know, it's pretty hard to draw lines between stability, work, money, kindness, and contentment. But all of these are targets. All of these are disciplines. Number six. Here's the hard one. Here's the big one. Number six is submission. The discipline of submission. I, we raised three girls, as you know, and I talked to them many, many, many times about the greatest gift you will ever give a man. I never said it this way. You're adult, so I'll say it this way. is not your body. It's your submission. It's for the rest of your life, falling under the headship of that man and submitting to his leadership for the rest of your life, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, sometimes, always, whatever it is, this is the most incredible gift you will give a man someday. So let's learn what it is. And submission... You should know because it was part of the curse. The curse, Genesis 3, God designed into women because of sin that women will not naturally submit to their husbands. I'm not being critical of you ladies. It's the truth of Scripture. A woman finds her greatest contentment in the roles that God designed and this one skill and discipline fights against everything in nature. And I mean that in its most basic, clear form because it's in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. You're you're training your daughter the discipline of reversing the curse, something that will never she will never ever be completely successful at. Right, ladies? Don't answer. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have done that. Proverbs 31:11, in spite of that curse, in spite of the natural bent the, Proverbs 30, the woman described in Proverbs 31 says that the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. That comes from her submission to his leadership. Verse 12, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. 1 Timothy 2.11 talks about submissiveness. Titus 2.5, teach them to be subject to their own husbands. Don't miss the fact that you are commanded to teach that And don't miss the fact and the reality that you have to teach that because if you don't teach that, they will not naturally know to be subject to their own husbands. Her husband is the beneficiary of all her skill. Her life is devoted to the reward and benefit of others, her husband and her children. Proverbs 31 says he has no lack of gain and it's because of her. And it says all the days of her life, submission is for life. And one day, dads, she will transfer her submission from you to another man. And you need to recognize that, understand that, and parent towards that right now. And I'll tell you, one of the funnest days of my life was walking my daughter down the aisle, and I would never have told you that that was going to be the case. Part of it was because this man was standing at the front. And he made it easier. But that's an amazing thing. And it's, it, it's, a, uh, it's an incredible day. It was a fun day. But it is a very clear line. That her submission to dad now transfers to submission to her husband. And it is for life. While she's in your house, men, teach her the discipline of submission. Teach her to love submission. Number seven. This goes right along with it. Humility. Humility. The reality of life is that a woman must be prepared to be humble. A woman who lives according to the roles God has designed is behind the scenes, unnoticed, and unsung. And on that one, ladies, you can say an amen if you want. When you're cleaning it up at three in the morning, you are unnoticed and unsung and behind the scenes, aren't you? And, and there's par- um, periods of parenting where your daughters, you won't see much of them because they're devoting so much to that home, to her role as a, as a um, helper to her husband and, and a lover of her children. This is a big transition for a young lady who's large and in charge, isn't it? Proverbs 28, or 31, 28 says, her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Verse 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. There's a couple of observations here. I just read you some verses. Her works praise her. Her children praise her. Her husband praises her. You never see in Proverbs 31 that she praises herself. That's humility. Her behavior and qualities draw attention, not her clothing or lack of it. You see comments, um, well, She's not looking for recognition or gratification. And by the way, men, that, this does not mean, this is not license that we should not recognize, praise, and honor our wife. We should. Men, there's instruction in Proverbs 31 that our lips should be praising her. And there is no critical place, men, for you to be praising your wife than in front of your children, sons and daughters. You will do more to teach and train your children into what really matters and what is really valuable by praising your wife. 1 Timothy 2 is parallel. It says, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. In other words, she's known for her good works, she's known for her godliness, and she's noticed. Not because of what she says, but through her humility and her obedience and her wise living, she's obvious. Okay? So, stability, work, money, kindness, contentment, submission, humility. Number eight, modesty. Modesty, and you knew this was coming. We live in the Kardashian culture. And it is shocking to me, which I know makes me sound old, and I gladly say it. It is shocking to me how um, our culture is moving. You keep thinking they can't get more risque, but your daughters are being bombarded with how to dress and how much of their bodies to expose. Our our culture presses a young lady to expose as much of her body as she can. This is a form of self-expression and getting attention and ultimately pride. This runs counter to humility, the opposite of humility. The biblical woman doesn't seek attention. Think back to what we just said. She doesn't seek attention, but she does draw attention for the right reasons. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Men, teach your children that. You observe women, you praise women, not because of what they look like, but because of who they are and what they do. 1 Timothy 2 You heard me read it, verse 9. I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or pearls or costly garments, but rather by a means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Modesty. And when we do this class in front of parents of teens exclusively, we really drill into this, and we get a lot of questions on this. But those are the disciplines. Stability, work, money, kindness, contentment. Submission, humility, modesty, all of that's throughout Proverbs 31. Disciplines to train into your daughters so that they're prepared to be a lover of their husband, a lover of their children, and a worker at home. Parenting should be done with an eye towards preparing your daughter for those roles with those disciplines. And as I said uh, this morning, I could have come up with 16. I could have narrowed them down to four came up with eight. There's no magic to that. Um, Just consider these and expand the list as you think you need to. None of these goals are achieved solely by some rite of passage or some event. A wedding and reception, for example, does not mystically qualify a young lady to be a godly wife and a mom. Labor doesn't qualify a woman to be a godly and a biblical mom. Qualifies her for a lot of things, but not that. For a young lady with these desires, it takes years of training and discipline to prepare her. So, let's go back through these eight. And I want to just give you some practical parenting implications. Some of this is from my experience. I think, hopefully not a whole lot of them. But a lot of these are also driven by the truth of our culture versus what the Bible says we are to be doing in training our daughters. Stability. How do you train stability in your daughters? One, never accept a lying tongue. A lying tongue um, reflects an instability, a manipulation, a form of manipulation. You need to deal with it no matter how small the issue presents itself. A woman who, who is truthful, a woman who has control of her tongue is a stable woman. And self-control, you know, it's a spiritual gift, but that also is something that should be trained in the context of stability. You train a stability in appetites, whether it's food, fun, money, whatever it is. How about work? I want to spend a little bit of time on work. Proverbs 31 talks about a woman rising early in the morning. There's a constant agenda of work and tasks when you're a mom. Right, ladies? There's never a dull moment. And with five sons, my goodness, there is really never a dull moment. And by the way, this doesn't mean a a constant social life. Some of you ladies wish you had the days of the old social life. Your world is wrapped up in your children. Your, your, Your daughters need to be prepared to enter that world. How can your daughter learn if she's never in your home? Some of you that are parenting teens Um, this really applies to you. Time priorities should include regular responsibilities in your home. How can your daughter learn to love the home, to work in the home, if she's never in your home, in that context? Okay, so train your daughters up, expecting them to carry their load in the home, to work in the home, to understand that mom is a servant, as the Bible describes it. I'm not saying as, uh, you know, she wears the dress and carries the, the plate around like this. She's a servant. God calls, calls the woman a servant in her home. She's not the maid. Mom's job is not to take care of all those functions. Your daughters and your sons should be trained in diligent, hard work in the home. Mom, openly express your joy. I know sometimes you don't feel it. But the joy of fulfilling that God-given role especially on days when it's obvious that it's a lot of hard work. And for those of you that do get to work in the home exclusively, you should be vocal in expressing your gratitude to the Lord in front of your children for that opportunity. That is a blessing. I'll say it again, dads. You've got to openly admire and exalt the work of your wife. Anne used to tell me all the time, date your daughters, date your daughters, date your daughters. I would take them out on dates, and I would always know part of the conversation would be, Let's talk about how great mom is. Never said that to them. That was the agenda in my mind. And articulate the work that your wife is doing. The things that your children take for granted. Articulate those things in the context of, you know, your your mom doesn't have to do that. She chooses to do that. Because she's a godly woman. Let your words praise her. Number three, money. I think you should give your daughters the opportunity to earn money from their labor. Um, We can have a conversation about whether you give your kids money and call it allowance or whatever you call it for not working. That's um, in some sense a preference, but there is opportunity to make the connection between labor and pay. And then give her the opportunity to invest her money. Um, I know that's a crazy idea, and if you have a two-year-old, I'm not talking to you. It's down the road. You should definitely give her the opportunity to budget money. So much fun watching. Some summers, my wife would let my daughters um, plan out the uh, the menu, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a week, and then they'd go shopping together. And the girls would pick what they're going to buy, and they would clip coupons before they got there, and they had a budget on how much to spend. Ton of fun. Great to watch. Great learning opportunity. Teach your daughters the opportunity um, or, or the importance and the discipline of handling money. Don't spoil your daughters. Your son-in-law will bless you someday. Don't disconnect the relationship between things and money. Four, kindness. I think you need to deal aggressively with two things in young ladies. One is jealousy. The other is pride. And let me define those for you. I may have gotten this from Rick. Rick has been so influential in me that, Rick, if I'm ripping off your stuff, I'm really sorry. I define jealousy, and maybe I think I did get this from Rick. Jealousy is her view of those with more than her. And pride deals with her view of those with less than her. And I will tell you from experience, no matter how godly your daughters are, they view the world through the prism of who has more than I do and who has less than I do. And what you want to uh, deal with very carefully is her jealousy, the potential jealousy of those with more than her, and the pride a lack of kindness towards those who have less who don't dress the right way whatever however that manifests itself fifth contentment contentment confidence comes from planning and implementation and preparation okay confidence comes from preparation and planning that is the kind of confidence to train into your daughters that's the contentment that it's talking about in proverbs 31 not contentment because of um, uh, circumstances, but contentment because she's done what God's called her to do. And model and teach that kind of confidence, not arrogance. Submission. I, I don't think this is gonna be rocket science, but I do think we should be requiring our daughters to respect their mother. And we should be requiring and expecting our daughters to respect their father and to respect their siblings to respect their employer, to respect their teachers. Why? Because those are all God-given opportunities for the young lady to learn submission to authority, whether reasonable or not. Model it, model it, model it. Ladies, well, and dads, you know, we went through the whole thing in public school watching parents interact with their teachers. And we used to go in at, at uh, back-to-school day or, or, no, parent meetings with the teacher And we used to go in with the agenda that we're gonna tell the teacher, we honor you, we're grateful for you, we view you as God's um, vessel in our child's life. You're gonna see our kid longer than we are most days. And so whatever you say goes, and we're gonna back you up 100%. And I can't tell you how many times teachers would start to tear up or get emotional when they heard that because they never hear that. What they hear is they call home and they say, um, hey, your, your, uh, your son just committed a uh, class three felony. And what they get from the parents is, don't mess with my child. Who are you? You don't know my child. And they don't realize that their kids are watching them not submit to authority. And they will tell their kids all day long, submit to authority, um, obey, be humble, um, and yet the kids are learning a very different lesson, lesson watching interaction with the teacher, interaction with the soccer coach, interaction with the baseball coach, whatever it might be. Model it, model it, model it. Okay, number seven, humility. Let her work speak for her, not her own mouth. We've got to be an example here, but I think you have to deal aggressively with a haughty, arrogant spirit in a young lady. Help her understand how it feels to do a thankless task. Because she has to. In other words, think carefully, men especially, get involved in this and consider what you praise your daughter for and how much you praise her. I'm not saying not to praise her, but don't build a pride, build a humility at the same time that you're, you're building her up. And then in modesty, in issues of dress, from the, from the standpoint of drawing attention, if you're parenting teens. Or you will be. Men, this is particularly directed at you. You've got to start teaching and training before they get to this place of what kind of attention is important and what kind of attention they should be drawing. Because the issue of modesty really is wrapped up in the issue of pride and a lack of humility and a desire for attention. Um, Not exclusively, but that probably covers about 90% of it. Why does she want to be noticed so much? and begin to train in the discipline of helping her answer that question and the question of what does she want to be known for, her works or her behavior. And left to her own, it will be, most of the times her conclusion will be my looks. And you have to train her actively out of that thinking into she wants to be well known for her behavior. So, that's girls. Why did God create women? Not exclusively for this, but as, as unique from men to be a lover of their husbands, a lover of their children, and a worker at home, and a thousand more things. But when you boil it down, those are the three that make a woman unique. And then the disciplines to train into your daughters so that they're prepared for those unique roles. Stability, work, money, kindness, contentment, humility, submission, and modesty. And they'll be perfect. No. And then you pray like crazy. We said this last night. You teach them these things. The fear of the Lord. You give them the reason why you're teaching them these things. You teach them wise living. That's a lot of what we're talking about here. You teach them obedience to what God's called them to to be. Obedience to authority. You teach them repentance, which we're going to talk about tomorrow. A lot of you are asking great questions about that, by the way. Come back tomorrow. And then you pray for your daughters. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they will make all of this their own, something you cannot do for them. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we're grateful to you, again, for the clarity of your word. Lord, it's been a bit of a fire hose this morning. I recognize that. And yet I'm greatly confident that your word will not return void, that your Holy Spirit will speak to each of our hearts, give us clarity of thought, Be with the moms and dads in this room. Give them the time and the commitment to sit down together, to consider these things together, to faithfully implement what you would have them do in the unique circumstance of their family and their children. Lord, I just pray that you open their eyes, give them um, great discernment in this area. And Lord, the great joy of knowing that they are doing what you've called them to do. And Lord, may you bless that hard work May the parents in this room and even in this church see just great blessing from the efforts and the faithfulness to obey you as parents. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.